All right, well, we are moving on now to chapter 8 of our book, From the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven, in which we're going to be talking about the Old Covenant. And so our memory verse uh, this week is Exodus 2, 24 to 25. It says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And so what we see is that God deals with um, Israel when they're in captivity in Egypt on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant and the promises that he made within that covenant. I think there's two there, right? And um, the old covenant didn't come out of nowhere. It had a soil that it grew out of, and the soil that the Old Covenant grew out of was, in fact, the um, Abrahamic Covenant. And so we're going to be looking at this passage today as we go through our Sunday school lesson, but mark it down. The reason why I gave you this verse and the significance of it is that from this point forward, from the point of the institution of the Abrahamic Covenant forward, All of God's dealings with his people are all going to be based on and grow out of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the Abrahamic covenant was first instituted in Acts, strike that, in Genesis 12, right? And uh, the uh, old covenant was instituted in Exodus chapter 19. And following up to chapter 24 is the whole whole batch there. But um, anyway... um, from Genesis 12 onwards, everything that happens clear to Revelation 22 is all based on and grows out of the Abrahamic covenant. So the old covenant is going to be based on, it's going to grow out of the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant is going to be based on and grow out of the Abrahamic covenant. And all we experience in the eternal state is all going to be based on the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. So what this verse is saying in Exodus 2, 24 to 25 is that when God looked at his people, he, he looked at them and he thought about them and he dealt with them from the framework of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, And that's why he instituted the old covenant. And that's why he instituted the new covenant. Because of the promises he made in the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, All right, so that's why we have this verse. Okay, quite right. All right, um, we are moving on today then to a new chapter in our book from the glory of, from the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven, and that is the chapter that deals with the subject of the Old Covenant. We have dealt previously with the subject of covenants, and uh, we have looked then at the Noahic Covenant. We have looked quite extensively at the Abrahamic Covenant. And now today we're moving on to deal with the subject of the Old Covenant. Now, in chapter 8, we are introduced to the Old Covenant. And there are three issues that are covered in chapter 8. The first is the roots of the Old Covenant. Where did this thing come from? Secondly, the content of the Old Covenant. What were the terms uh, and blessings that it conveyed? And then finally, the features of the Old Covenant, what were some of the characteristics of it? So what we have then 
is uh, the beginnings of our dealings with the Old Covenant. Now, we might think that the Old Covenant was the really, really, really important covenant of the Old Testament. And the reason why is because the vast majority of the Old Testament, content-wise, volume-wise, is taken up with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant begins at Exodus chapter 19. So you have Genesis and then Exodus, and then from Exodus all the way to Malachi. Uh, for, for 38 of the books, of, of the 39 books of the Old Testament, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, 38 of them deal with the Old Covenant. So we would tend to think, well, the Old Covenant was the really the important covenant. But, of course, it wasn't. The really important covenant was the Abrahamic covenant, because in it, God provided for salvation, and as we're going to see, um, the Old Covenant merely grew out of it. Now, one of the things that uh, we need to understand, though, is that the Old Covenant is really important, and that's why so much of the history of the covenant community was taken up under the administration of the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, one of the great uh, blessings that we have is we have uh, from it and in it conveyed to us uh, in a codified form uh, the law of God, namely the Ten Commandments. Now, Ten Commandments existed from the time of um, Adam on, and it would be fairly easy to demonstrate uh, prior to Exodus chapter 20 when the Ten Commandments were first codified in, in ten statements all together in one place. It would be fairly easy to demonstrate that all of these commandments were in force and in place uh, from the beginning uh, because they're moral laws, they're permanent, they're eternal, they're unchangeable. And so we would expect that even though they were expressed for the first time as a group in Exodus chapter 20, uh, they had been in existence since the first day of creation. Indeed, uh, they are eternal because they're a reflection of the character of God himself. And so one of the things that we run into today is people saying, well, you know, the old covenants passed away and so therefore the Ten Commandments have passed away. And as we proceed through our study, we'll see that's not the case, that the old covenant uh, was a great blessing to us even now in that it uh, summarized and clearly stated uh, God's moral law for us. Now, what we want to do then is we want to talk about um, the Abrahamic covenant in terms of its origin or its roots, pardon me, the old covenant in terms of its origin and roots, where did this covenant come from? And what we want to see is that the roots of the old covenant uh, are firmly embedded in the Abrahamic covenant. In other words, the old covenant is made in connection with God's promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And so the tie with the Abrahamic covenant is demonstrated at the very beginning of God's workings with Israel to establish the old covenant. So let's turn on our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus chapter 2. The book of Exodus chapter 2. What is it that ties biblical revelation together into a cohesive unit, it is the covenants. 
And so we're going to see that. Now, uh, to give you a little background, what's happened is Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons. And uh, those 12 sons and their families, which comprised 70 persons, moved down to Egypt during the famine. Um, Joseph had gone before them, of course, and had become uh, second king in Egypt. And so they're in Egypt and they're staying there for several generations. They're multiplying like crazy. The king of Egypt, evil, surmises that these people are going to be a threat to the Egyptian government and sovereignty and eventually rise up and rebel against it. So as a result, they enslave all of the Jews. So here we have um, Jacob's descendants, the 12 tribes, uh, and all of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren now forming a mighty nation, and they're all in slavery and bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. And notice, if you will, Exodus chapter 2 and verse um, 23. Exodus chapter 2 in verse uh, 23. It says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God responded. And when God responded to their groaning, he responded from a frame of reference. And the frame of reference from which he interpreted their groaning and his response to that groaning was nothing other than the Abrahamic covenant. Notice, if you will, verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And, as a result, God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And so God's dealings now with this nation is going to be done in the framework of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, uh, what we see here is that um, as a result of their crying to God and their bondage, and as a result of the promises that God made to them in the Abrahamic covenant, God then begins to act in relationship to them uh, in terms of bringing deliverance out of this slavery and bringing them back into the land that God had promised them in the Abrahamic covenant. Because you remember in Exodus chapter 15, God says, I'm going to give you the land and here's the dimensions of it. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, the promise was made in chapter 12 and chapter 17, chapter 22 also, but it was most explicit um, in chapter 15. It was also made in chapter 13 as well. Um, so anyway, let's turn please to Exodus chapter 6. So <clears throat> Moses is, is raised up as a result of this cry. God grabs Moses and he sends him to Pharaoh. And uh, <clears throat> notice, if you will, Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, 
and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of the land. And God spoke unto Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah, I was not known unto them. When was the name Jehovah revealed? It was revealed at the burning bush. And uh, that was revealed in Exodus chapter 3. And so when in Exodus chapter 2, God heard the cry, he remembered the covenant. What does he do? He raises up a savior, namely Moses, and he sends him to defeat Pharaoh. So Moses is a picture of Christ. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. The children of Israel in bondage to Satan and the slavery of sin is pictured there. And Moses comes and by mighty works delivers the children of Israel and saves them out of the bondage that they were in. Thus picturing Christ coming and saving us out of our sinful, out of our bondage to sin and to Satan. So God is now talking with Moses and he's talking with him about how he's going to use him to deliver the children of Israel. And he's saying to him, you know, I was known to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob by my name, God Almighty, but not by my name, Jehovah, was I known to them. That was just revealed at the burning bush back in chapter three. And here we are in chapter six. Now notice, I have also established my covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. So God's remembering his promise of the land and that he's going to give it to them. Verse 5, And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So God keeps mentioning the covenant, okay? He mentioned it in verse 4, I also have established my covenant with them. Verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. Where have we ever heard that phrase before, right? Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7, where God in the Abrahamic covenant promises the central blessing of that covenant that he would be their God and they would be his people. So God is just recalling the terms of the Abrahamic covenant. He's recalling the land he's promised. He's recalling the commitment to be their God. And he says in verse 7, And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land concerning which I did swear, that's the oath sworn promise, to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Now, you can't get any more clear than that, that what God is going to do with Israel in terms of bringing them out of bondage in Egypt is a direct result of his determination to fulfill his promises in the Abrahamic covenant. All right. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and we'll get a little retrospective. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Now in this chapter, Israel is sitting on the brink of um, the land of, of uh, Palestine, the promised land. 
They're getting ready to take it over under Joshua. Um, Moses is, is about dead. He's at the end of his life. And so he's giving his final instructions to them in chapter 29. And um, I want you to notice verse 10. Now, they've come out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They've come through that. They're camped right at the edge of Jordan. Okay? And uh, Moses is going to die. And Joshua then is going to take the children of Israel. They're going to... go through the river Jordan. It's going to stand up. Uh, They're going to go through. They're going to take Jericho and they're going to take the promised land. All right. So this is just before they're ready to go in. And what what, um, Moses is doing here is he is reminding them of the covenant that they entered into, which was the old covenant, which was in Exodus chapter 19. And so Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law or the second giving of the covenant, if you will. So the covenant was first given and established in Exodus 19. And now in in Deuteronomy, because a whole new generation has risen up, because the previous generation all died off in the wilderness because of sin, right? During the 40 years wandering. He's now informing the, this new generation has risen up. Here's what the covenant says. Here's what it promises. Here's what your obligations are. Okay? Now, verse 10. Deuteronomy 29, verse 10. You stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. Notice the connection between the covenant and the oath. There's covenants are oath sworn promises, right? So they're going to enter into a covenant. That he may, verse 13, establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God as he has said unto thee, and as he has sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So this covenant, this oath-sworn covenant that they're about to enter into, is one that is based on the covenant that God swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Now, the covenant they're going to enter into isn't a, isn't a new covenant. It's the old covenant that was made in Exodus 19. But it's new to them in that they had to reaffirm it. So what happened is that every new generation that came along had to reaffirm their commitment to and involvement with the old covenant. And that's what happened here. And so there was this public declaration that, yes, we are reaffirming the old covenant based on the covenant that God made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So verse 12, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God makes with thee this day, that he may establish thee today, For a people to himself, and that he may be to thee a God, as he has said unto thee, and as he has sworn to thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So you see that their 
entering into the Old Covenant that day was based on the covenant between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and God. So I don't think we could be any more clear than to recognize that the Old Covenant was based on and flowed directly out of the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay, any questions about that? Is that clear? All right. Now, <clears throat> what we want to do then is we want to look at um, the nature of this covenant in terms of the deliverance it wrought. Now, in the Bible, there are three great salvations. And the first two salvations uh, are metaphors or pictures of the third and the final salvation that God has wrought. And so the first salvation was the salvation of Noah and the people and the animals on the ark from the flood, right? And so that foreshadowed our rescue from death and destruction and judgment. Because what was the flood? It was God's wrath. It was God's um, uh, expression of uh, the death and the destruction and the judgment that he was going to bring uh, on sinners. And of course, Noah and his family was saved. And then the second great salvation that God wrought was a salvation of the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And so Israel was in bondage and slavery. So Noah was delivered from death and destruction Israel was delivered from bondage and slavery. And it's precisely death and destruction and bondage and slavery to sin that we are delivered from by Jesus Christ and the salvation he provides in the new covenant. Okay? So when you look at the salvation we enjoy, what do we, what do we save from? We're saved from the outpouring of the wrath of God. And we're saved from slavery and bondage to sin. And that salvation that we experience from the wrath of God and from the bondage and slavery of sin was pictured for us in the salvation that occurred in the Noahic flood and the salvation that occurred at the time of the Exodus. So this is another way in which the Bible is all tied together covenantally. So you have the Noahic covenant, you have the old covenant, you have the new covenant, all three of them have salvations. The first two salvations are pictures of the final salvation that is wrought by Jesus Christ. And so when we read our New Testament, we understand a great deal about the salvation that it uh, conveys by looking at the pictures of it that were given to us uh, under the Old Covenant. So what we see uh, coupled with the Old Covenant is this marvelous salvation uh, that was, of course, promised in the Abrahamic Covenant. And so that leads us then to um, our second major consideration, having seen the roots of the Abrahamic Covenant, or pardon me, of, of the Old Covenant, the roots of the uh, Old Covenant is rooted in the Abrahamic Covenant, Notice, secondly, the content of the covenant. Now, in order to find out what the content of the covenant is, we need to turn to um, the book of Exodus chapter 19. 
In Exodus chapter 19, we'll just start reading at verse 1 to pick up the context. It says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So they've, they've experienced their salvation out of bondage to the slavery uh, of Pharaoh. And they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell ye the children of Israel. He says, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So the context of the Old Covenant is deliverance from bondage in Egypt. Verse 5, Now therefore, now here it is in verses 5 and 6, If you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, in verses 5 and 6, we have the totality of the terms of the Old Covenant. That's the covenant, verse 5 and 6. He says, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then. So we have if, then. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and you shall be to me a holy nation. So when we look at the content of the covenant, we see, first of all, the conditional nature of the covenant. Notice it contains an if-then clause. Now, this is new. When God made the Noahic covenant, he didn't say, if then. In the Noahic covenant, he just says, I will, I will, I will, and by the way, I will. In the same way with the Abrahamic covenant. There's no if-then clauses in the Abrahamic covenant. God just comes along and he says, I will give you a land, I will give you a seed, and I will give you a blessing, and you will be a blessing. So in the Noahic covenant, we have what's called a unilateral covenant where God says he's going to do it all. Noah didn't have to do anything. And he came along and he said to Abraham, I'm going to do it all. And Abraham didn't have to do anything. You remember that Abraham didn't pass between the pieces of the slain animals in in uh, Genesis chapter 15. Only God passed between them because only God was obligated in that covenant. And in the same way with the Noahic covenant, Noah didn't swear to anything. God did all the swearing. He swore that he would do this and that and the next thing. Okay? But now we have a different kind of covenant. This is what we call a bilateral covenant where God says, if you do this, then I will do that. So you have to hold up your end of the bargain, and I'll hold up my end of the bargain. And if you hold up your end, I'll hold up my end. And then there will be certain outcomes. 
And the clear implication is if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, these outcomes will not obtain. So what God does here is he gives to them um, his laws, which are their responsibility, and he lays upon himself obligations that he will do towards them if they keep his law. So verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. And then of course, the rest of the book of Exodus is a declaration of what that voice demands and what that covenant involves in terms of the requirements that are laid upon them. And of course, uh, the first of those requirements that are laid upon them is declared in Exodus chapter 20, the very next chapter. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice he begins with redemption. He begins with the salvation that he wrought for them. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. Therefore, you will have no other gods before me. You will not make any graven image. You will not use my name in vain. You will remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You will honor your mother and your father. You will not kill. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not lie. And you will not covet. And so the Ten Commandments were incorporated into the Old Covenant as the terms of that covenant that they must keep if God was going to bring the blessings that He promised to them in the latter part of verse 5 and verse 6. Notice he says in verse 5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, that is, keep the Ten Commandments, then you shall be a, a special people to me, you shall be a kingdom of priests, and you will be a holy nation. So obedience was required of the children of Israel as a nation. This was to be a national obedience. It was to be a general obedience. It was to characterize the entire group of people together. And of course, this obedience involved the Ten Commandments primarily, but also it involved keeping the ceremonial and the civil laws as well, which were incorporated. And we see that in the remainder of Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. Okay? And so what God does is he sets out his moral law. He sets out a ceremonial law. He sets out his civil law. And then at the end of that, we have the consecration uh, of this um, ceremony in which uh, the people agreed. Um, notice it says, um, verse 7 of Exodus 24. Well, we, well, let's just start out at verse 3. Exodus 24, verse 3. Now, after laying out the Ten Commandments, after laying out the ceremonial law and the civil law, verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. 
And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And then he took 70, the elder of Israel, and they went up and they had the ceremonial meal, which sealed covenants. And you remember that that's what uh, was a characteristic of covenants is that there was an oath sworn promise. And then it was usually sealed with a covenantal meal where the party sat down and they ate together, which was a declaration of peace between them. So what we see then is that this covenant was an if then covenant meaning that God says, if you will keep my moral law, the Ten Commandments, and my civil law, that is the laws that govern the civil life of the nation, and my ceremonial laws, that is the laws that revolve around the, the temple and the priesthood and all the animal sacrifices, if you'll keep all that, then I will bless you in the fashion in which he, he described. And so... Um, the Lord was um, uh, offering to the people a deal. And the people said, we'll take the deal. Now, the deal did not involve salvation. There's no salvation in the Old Covenant. God never promised salvation to these people on the basis of it. You've maybe heard people say, uninformed people, well, you know, under the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law, but under the New Testament, they're saved by faith in Jesus. Nothing could be further from the truth. People have always been saved by grace, through faith, in God's promised Messiah, the seed of the woman. And what this law was, was that it was an arrangement between God and these people that determined whether God would bless them or not. And the blessings that he promised to them are basically three. The promises are first that God would make them a special treasure to him above all people. Notice Exodus 19 and verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then number one, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. So what God is saying is, look, out of all the nations of the earth, you're going to be the special nation. You're going to be the nation that I am going to have a special care and concern for. So that you will be set above, in my eyes, all other nations around you as being more important, more valuable, and more worthy of receiving the outpouring of my blessing and my protection. And so in Amos 3 and verse 2, the Lord says, you only of all the families of the earth have I known, have I had a personal relationship with. And so Israel was given a place of special uh, blessing from God as being his peculiar, distinct people. And then the second thing that God promised them in Exodus chapter 19 is that not only would he make them his special treasure above all the nations of the earth, 
but he declares that they would be a kingdom of priests. Notice verse 6 of Exodus 19, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. And what this means is not only would they have a place of special blessing from God, but they would also be a special body whose primary function was to worship and glorify God. Now, to be sure, the Levites were the particular priestly class, but the whole nation was a kingdom of priests in that all of the people worshipped God and served God in a way and to a degree that was dramatically above that of the nations around them. And then the third blessing that he, he promised was that they would be a holy nation. That is, he would sanctify them. They would be separated from their sins. They would be separated from the sins of the nations around them. And by keeping the Ten Commandments, by keeping the civil laws, by keeping the ceremonial laws, they would be separated from the sins of the people around them and the curses that those sins brought. Conversely, because they kept the law of God, they would have tremendous blessings as a result of it. So God says, if you keep my laws, civil, ceremonial, and moral, then you will be a special nation to me among all of the nations. You will be a people that worship the true and living God as opposed to all the pagan idols. And you will be a people who are separated from the sins of the nation around you and all the curses that fall upon them. And because of the separation from that sin, you will have my blessings upon you. So those are then the three terms of the covenant that will be fulfilled by God if the people keep God's laws. Now we're going to stop there and we'll pick up from there next time. And we'll look at some of the features of the covenant. But God was uh, very good to fulfill his part. Uh, we see that he did uh, treat Israel as a special people. He did receive their worship. Uh, and they were uh, a nation that was not characterized by the sins of the nations around them. And as a result, they were blessed while those around them uh, were cursed. All right, well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that you deal with your people uh, in terms of your covenants and that you are a covenant-keeping God. And fathers, we look into the old covenant, help us to recognize, understand its nature, its blessing, its purpose, and uh, the way in which it brought us uh, the blessings of the new covenant. Father, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.